you need an accountant, if you need someone to help you with recovering billbacks, whatever it may be, search out, talk to people, try to find the best solutions for your business at every stage and surround yourself by people that are experienced because it is very challenging and things can very much go wrong. And if you don't have the right people around you and don't have the right resources, where you started to where you can get can be very, very different places. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really excited today because we have a very special guest, August Vega, and I am going to tell you a little bit about her, but there are so many things that she's done and is currently doing that I'm going to let her talk about some of them. But she is a founder of a brand, consultant for some other brands, a fractional CEO for Mama Strong and a board member at Miyoko. So, so many different things to talk about that are interesting for our listeners. So welcome to the podcast, August. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's really awesome. I want to hear about your journey because it's been, you've done so many things and now you're doing a lot of the things at the same time. So why don't you talk about how you started in this industry and where you're headed? Sure. You know, I had a background not in this industry at all, being CPG. I come from a background in clean tech, mostly around efficiency, whether that's energy efficiency or water efficiency, you know, all the things trying to save resources. And so where I found myself, though, was bringing in lots of revenue and margin for other people and other companies. And I always had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. And so finally, that spirit became something I couldn't overcome anymore. And I married that spirit, business acumen, and what I thought was just a very friendly, passionate thing for my family, which was an allergy that we had and some products I was making in the house, not realizing, you know, I was about to leave the energy and water efficiency industry, which I thought was really rough and tumble and going into consumer packaged goods, which is probably the most rough and tumble and difficult thing you can do. So I kind of married all these things together in a very Pollyanna way, thinking, you know, I'm going to jump into this and it's going to be very peace and love. And I learned quick. So that's kind of what got me to here. That's interesting because you're saying you went from something that you thought was rough and tumble to something you didn't think was going to be, but it wound up being more so. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So I founded Malk Organics, which was the journey we're speaking of. And, you know, I think because I created it from a heart space and from a an energetic space, if I'm honest, a place of love and compassion and wanting to provide for my family and wanting to bring family members on to bring them up, you know, with me in this journey. I really just wanted to approach it from that space, like a heart space and a place of trying to help. And I quickly learned that it's a very, very, very cutthroat. First of all, extremely expensive, right? (laughs) And extremely cutthroat and probably the most complicated thing that you can do, I believe. And I think that 
it's interesting because the barrier to entry is so low, mm-hmm. but the stakes mm-hmm. and the responsibility and the things that can go wrong are so much higher than in most businesses, I think. Meaning founding a food or beverage business. Absolutely. Barrier yes. to entry is low, but then there are lots of things. So talk about the cutthroatness because you know it's so interesting that you're saying that a lot of people who come into the better for you industry feel like there's a lot of collaborativeness that happens among founders, but you're talking about some cutthroatness in what aspect? I mean, absolutely. There's collaboration and there's amazing relationships that are formed. So I I don't think of the wrong impression. I think what I mean is, you know, you kind of early on can be taken under the wing of different retailers, or you just kind of think I'm doing this from a place that is so pure and so intentional, not realizing that if someone comes along behind you and has the money to spend on more slotting, you could get kicked off without really having an opportunity to have proven yourself, you know? So I think that's where the cutthroat comes in is that the opportunity, there's a small window of opportunity, number one, to hit shelves in this category, meaning food and beverage. And then there's a limited amount of space. And so just by way of that, those two factors alone, it becomes extremely cutthroat, right? Yes. Very challenging. Agree. Agree with that. So talk about the transition then. You decided to do this and it was hard, but you kept doing it. And how was that experience for you founding that brand? Founding the brand was the most rewarding and somewhat magical experiences I've ever had. But, you know, I ran it for around eight years and, you know, I could go, I could definitely talk for eons and probably not today, but about the different challenges that came up and, you know, just the mistakes that I made. I was a first time entrepreneur, jumped way into the deep end immediately and really came aggressively, kindly, but aggressively into disrupting and being, you know, a leader in the clean food space. And that was a real challenge. It's really, really hard. And I think from that perspective, we did a great job, you know, like we really did kind of pay the path for five ingredients or less and, you know, all things you can pronounce and all the things that seem cliche now that were not cliche then, like there was no one doing it. So it's the other challenges, you know, the fundraising, the competition, the, you know, perception, understanding all the facets of this type of a business in terms of like, you know, cold chain logistics, even like, it's just, you really take a beating. And after eight years, I have a child, which is why I created this to begin with. And sometimes you just have to evaluate what's most important in your life, you know, and one child can't be more important than the other one in terms of, you know, your baby being the business versus your baby. That's actually a human being that needs to be nurtured and grown. Yeah. 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 You have a lot of things going on at the same time that are different. Talk about moving on from that. What happened next for you and why did you move on? There were lots of challenges and I moved on at the kind of peak of the pandemic. A lot that could be said there, but I was in the middle of a fundraise when the pandemic hit and the fundraise was already really overdue. You know, books were in bad shape. Things were, it was time. And over the summer of 2020, 
every single day was about survival in a way that, you know, at the time the product was self-manufactured. So we had manufacturing employees. We had all of this responsibility. I'm, you know, the whole world was shut down and I was going to the office every day going like, how am I going to keep these people thriving and surviving? And also, you know, you have investors and how do you protect the investors and how do you get the capital in during a pandemic? And it was the most challenging, traumatizing time of my life. And I knew then, you know, every day when I would get up and leave the house and go to the office and try to strategize to figure out what to do, I told myself, like, when the money comes in the door, you can't do this anymore. You know, like you can't. And then, you know, once you start running out of capital significantly, just the wheels on the bus start flying off. If I'm honest, you know, mistakes are made everywhere because you're just holding on for dear life, you know? And so, so many challenges and so many things I could say, but the basics of it are already exhausted and fatigued from the build of something pretty significant from, you know, zero and going through a pandemic with that kind of responsibility just was the cherry on top. (laughs) I mean, I think it's important to talk about because sometimes it doesn't happen the way you expect it to. And sometimes you have to make a different decision. So what was the decision that you ultimately wound up making on that brand? Just, you know, completely walked away. And there's a lot of different reasons why there was a lot of, I'm a very energetic person in terms of like, I pick up on, I'm very sensitive in terms of people's energies and what they're feeling. And, you know, that can be a real challenge, especially when things are challenging in a corporate environment. But I really had to completely separate from it. There was no like, easing out of it because it was such a, it was ingrained in every fiber that I was, but there's not a way to kind of keep a toe in. It just doesn't work. And so I left and it was a really challenging time and a really hard decision to make. But I have to say that like, I am such a happier human being. I'm so much more grounded. I have so much experience. Like I have so much knowledge of this business that nothing was lost. That's all I can say. So what happened with the brand after you left? It's it's still ongoing. There's someone else leading the brand. I'm not really, I don't keep tabs on it, to be honest. I actually don't even follow it on social. You just kind of have to make a break and it has to be a very severe one, I think. Not in every situation, obviously, but I think in this specific situation and given the factors and, you know, the time frame in which it happened and all of this combined, it needed to be a pretty severe line that's drawn for me to be able to move forward in a way that's meaningful. Okay. So that's interesting. So for yourself, you just needed to move on. And I think that's an interesting choice because you said you were feeling very heavy and stressed and now you feel so much happier. What are you, and you haven't left the CPG world. So talk about what you're doing now. Yeah. So I consult with several different brands, mostly in the better for you clean. We're trying to put together a group. I think that in the clean food space, you know, it's going to take some time for that to become extremely mainstream. Like it's already become more mainstream, but there's a faction of people who are starting to pay even more attention to not only better for you, but a lot of times better for you equals sustainable. Mm -hmm. And as we look at sustainable foods, 
And obviously we were just talking about the fires and the issues in the, you know, in New York as a result of the Canadian fires. But as we look at where we're at as a society, sustainable foods, foods that are better for you, foods that are grown in a more sustainable way are going to become more and more in demand, but we're kind of on the, you know, very beginning of the cusp of it. And so we're looking at maybe combining a few smaller brands that are in this realm that could really be impactful as a group, but maybe as a solo brand, it's just a real slog at this point in time. So trying to look for creative ways to help some of these brands, you know, make it through the infancy stage through to like 10 million, but kind of combine forces to help out. So that's an interesting thing that I have going on with a couple of different brands. And then I'm, you know, kind of still in the consumer space, not food and beverage. I'm a CEO, fractional CEO. I love the fractional work because it gives, you know, smaller companies good resources, right? And also for someone like me, it's perfect because I like to be involved in lots of different things. But I'm a fractional CEO for a company called Mama Strong, which is a functional fitness app that provides services from, you know, mental health services. It's a workout every day. That's 15 to 20 minutes for moms, either, you know, prenatal, pregnant or postnatal. And it's about 15 minutes to 20 minutes a day. And, but the community and the resources that we provide in terms of, you know, physical therapists that are on call and mental health therapists that are on call and it's really more about functional fitness. So it's not about, I'm going to lose 20 pounds and be in my beach body. It's about, yeah. I just had a baby or I'm pregnant or I'm, you know, I'm in the thick of it. I'm in pain. What do I do? What are the exercises I need to do to feel better? Right. So that's really the key. And we're expanding that to encompass women's health in totality. So following a woman, a mom from, you know, prenatal through menopause. And so I'm really excited about doing some of that work for obvious reasons, because we're all aging. So (laughs) it's nice to have solutions, you know, across the board. Yep. Sadly, it has to happen, I guess. (laughs) The alternative isn't good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm kicking and screaming. Yeah. And then you're a board member too. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So that's been a really interesting, I enjoy being a board member because of my experience and having gone through a lot of different challenges in building brands. It does give you kind of a broad perspective from not just from the outside, like sometimes investors that haven't been on the founder side still don't really 100% get exactly what that Mm -hmm. struggle is. And so I think coming from a founder's lens, it's really helpful in a board situation to be able to provide continuity there. And I generally, you know, I'm looking at potentially even becoming a certified mediator because I generally believe that we need to get to a place where in all of these situations, whether that's taking on investment, you know, at a board level, whatever it is, companies have struggles and things happen. And so like figuring out what to do when the struggles happen is something that's really interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. How did you wind up on the board of Miyoko's? Like, what was that? Is that recent? Have you been on it for a while? It's been a few months. It's been about four months. There was a lot of activity going on at the Miyoko's board level. Oh, there was. I'm pretty sure that most of the people listening to this will be very intimate with that. 
Yes. And, you know, I can't really speak to the details of that, obviously, but the way that I was brought brought on, a couple of the board members that were on board resigned. And because of my background and because I'm a woman founder, I was actually propositioned by Mio to join the board. Okay. Interesting. So how have you found the experience of being on that board or any board? I mean, are you enjoying that as well? Or is is that I do enjoy it. I do. And I think that, like we said, there was a lot of activity there and understanding all perspectives and kind of keeping, no matter what's going on in the periphery, like keeping the mission and the vision and the goal of what the intention was in the beginning of company, I think is really important. And so as a board member, it's really rewarding to try and, you know, keep that rolling. I'm curious to know, so you've done so many different things. First of all, do you have a favorite thing of all the jobs you've had? Is there something you love the most? You know, it's a great question. I kind of love it all in terms of, I like to be involved in a little bit of everything, which is, is kind of a problem for me sometimes, (laughs) but I like to have conversations, like I like to be out front and having conversations and talking, but I also like to get into spreadsheets and dig in and try to figure out a problem or whatever, especially, especially at this point in my career, having kind of the acumen and understanding of, you know, where to search for things. It's kind of fun to to be a detective sometimes, but, you know, I think that what I like is not really being confined to one thing, to be honest. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. (laughs) I'm not surprised to hear that given all the things that you've done. Is there anything you've learned along the way, either as you founded your own brand or decided to walk away from that, that you want to share that you think would be useful for people who are listening? So many things. I think that no matter what, starting these whatever it may be in this space, it's going to be a challenge. Food and beverage is challenging, but really setting yourself up with coming into it with the mindset of finding the best team you can find. And that doesn't have to be, you know, hiring on expensive heads from day one. That means if you need, you know, fractional resources, if you need an accountant, if you need someone to help you with recovering billbacks, whatever it may be, search out, talk to people, try to find the best solutions for your business at every stage and surround yourself by people that are experienced because it is very challenging and things can very much go wrong. And if you don't have the right people around you and don't have the right resources, where you started to where you can get can be very, very different places. Is there anything that you feel like you would have done differently before you decided, like that could have changed the trajectory of Malk or, or do you feel like you did the things that you needed to do and the timing was bad? Like, I feel like I did the things I needed to do initially. And I think, you know, look, it was a decade ago. And so then very different world. raising money then as a female was very, very challenging as it still is, but it, you think it's different. Is it better than it was for females or is it still really hard? And and I already know it. you're going to say it's harder than it is for men because the world it is. Is, it, yeah. no, numbers don't lie. <laughs> numbers, exactly. The numbers yeah. don't lie. Yep. So, yes. I mean, I think it still is extremely hard. I think there's more visibility, you know, and I think that it's more, it's more accepted 
But I think that the biggest challenge that I had was not understanding how much capital it would actually take and being kind of naive, probably intentionally naive, because if you know, it's so overwhelming, what can uh-huh. you do anyway, right? Yep. But yep. how much capital it would take and really understanding the nuances. I think that what people don't understand about these businesses, anytime you have a distributor or you have multiple you know, hands in the pot, which is a really a crass way of putting it, but when you have multiple different people that you have to pay to get your product from wherever you make it to wherever it's going to be sold, you need to have some very, very good traceability and financial discipline in place because there are so many different paths where things can go, you know, off the tracks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And now are you feeling like I might know the answer to this too, but so now at Mama Strong, you're a fractional CEO, I would imagine there are many, many benefits to them because you have already been a founder and gone through a lot of the, experienced a lot of the challenges. Does that prove to be true for you and them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I absolutely, you know, it's all mostly around the financial pieces, like financial planning, not really, you know, the nuts and bolts of accounting, but like looking forward and what's going to be needed and and projecting cash. I think that that involves more than just a CFO lens, you know, and there's nuances to it. And so I think from that perspective, it's been really helpful. And then just kind of pulling plans together. Once you've kind of gone through strategic planning a few different times and within different companies, really you can develop a skill where you can see things from a broad lens, but pull it all together for everyone. And I think that that's sometimes a challenge to do when you're a founder or when you're really, really close to something, it's hard to see, you know, outside of your tunnel vision. And so I think that's been extremely helpful. So, and are you working with the founders of that brand? Like, are the founders involved? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so the founder, her name is Courtney Wyckoff. She actually is a trainer on the app. So she's very, very much involved on a daily basis. And there are daily different trainings for different types of things. It's it's very, very, very cool. It's a wonderful resource for women and soon to be at any stage. Awesome. That's fantastic. That sounds really exciting and fun. It's really fun. It's incredible. We have some future plans for some product lines that support kind of our mission and vision. And so there's a lot of really fun stuff ahead. Amazing. Well, I think you've given us so much good stuff. Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to yet or any advice you'd like to share that we haven't talked about? I mean, I don't know. You know, I, there's it just depends on the stage and what's happening. But I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, trusting your gut initially and backing that up with data, I think is an unstoppable force and really listening to it though, right? Like we feel things in our gut, we might have the data, but we're so as entrepreneurs, we want to be, you know, whatever our vision is or whatever we've brought to life, we want it to be successful so much that sometimes we can't see the right decisions to make because of that emotional tie. And so I would say the best advice I could give anyone in an entrepreneurial space, especially in this space is go with your gut for sure, but back it up with data as much as you can. And as often as you can, every time if you can. Yeah, that's really important. 
Yeah. Just to know what you're doing and see the progress or if it's not going well, knowing it quickly. Right. Absolutely. And because when you know something's not working, but you intuitively feel that it's something that's viable, you can start to find solutions. If you're in denial that something's not working, that's when, yeah. (laughs) So, no, I think, you know, there's two schools of thought, I think, and there's probably somewhere in the middle that makes the most sense. Like, obsessing over it is potentially not that great, although not knowing is also not great. So really understanding where you are, I think all the time matters. I mean, for me, even with my own company, I know where we are every second of the day. And sometimes it's terrible. Sometimes I don't want to, right. You think about it so much, but not knowing is so much worse. Yeah. I mean, I think just identifying Having some really good, I hate KPIs, having some really great KPIs, having some really good metrics that you measure on a daily and weekly and monthly and quarterly basis that give you a pulse on certain things, you need to establish those pretty early on. Yeah. Yes. So you have knowledge. Where am I? Where am I going? Am I on track? All the things that you're probably doing now. Yes. 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 So lucky mama strong because they got you after you got all the knowledge and learned all the lessons. (laughs) I'm so, so thankful that it's such a wonderful place to be. That's wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. This is a great interview. I love it. I think it's going to be awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.